Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Collaborative Voices from Community Networks Aotearoa. Conversations and interviews on all kinds of subjects of interest to the community and voluntary sector. Listen up for Collaborative Voices from Wellington Access Radio. Welcome to um, Collaborative Voices. My name's Ross Rice and I work for Community Networks Aotearoa and it's my great pleasure today to be talking to Peter Gelvin. Now, Peter, first of all, welcome. Kia ora, Roz. Kia ora. Um, You've got some fairly strong work backgrounds that I'd like to just bring up fairly quickly um, that have led you to the position that you're in now. Um, you're the general manager at Oranga Tamariki, is that correct? Yes, for, for partnerships. So for I, partnerships, I wish, yep. yep. You were princi- previously the principal advisor at MSD. How long were you there? Uh, I joined MSD about 2014 and I was in that role for about three years so I was I was part of the office of the chief policy advisor so that was um, before the split of MSD and Oranga Tamariki so I got to do some very interesting projects there yeah yeah I think I might have met you there but or no I think I met you earlier than that for some reason but before you were at MSD, you were the Director of Strategic Projects at the Ministry of Justice. What were the strategic projects? Well, so that particular project, there was about a year-long assignment to look at the overrepresentation of Māori in the criminal justice system. Uh, so I was working to the uh, justice sector chief executives, um, and they had decided that they wanted to have a, you know, a, a dedicated project around reflecting on the initiatives that have gone on before about how to tackle that. And uh, they and tasked me with sort of bringing together people from across the justice sector and, and to come up with some thoughts about how to tackle it. So mm-hmm. um, that, that led in, um, you know, that, that works sort of started a, a, a much longer and more in-depth piece of work, which is just, I think, you know, it's culminated more recently in the, in the justice sector strategy around um, Māori and particularly in the criminal justice system. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I suppose you automatically, or not automatically, but you had a really good grounding to look at that subject about Māori and the justice system because um, back in 2011, you were Deputy Secretary and uh, Director in the Office of Treaty Settlements. That must have been fascinating work. Oh, no, it it was a great job. Yeah, I I joined there in about 2007 as a Deputy Director of the Office of Treaty Settlements. And so was there um, particularly when uh, Dr. Michael Cullen, who's you know recently passed away, mm. became the minister for a year mm. and uh, just um, sort of turned on the taps in terms of how the settlement process uh, ran, you know, which was in, and that was a momentum that was then picked up by the, the national administration that, that followed him. So it was, it was a, a very dynamic and busy time in the, in the office. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, it was... It was, yes. We're doing quite a lot of work ourselves here in the office to meet treaty uh, obligations and to understand working with Māori. Um, And it's um, a whole new world for us and we're finding it absolutely amazing and fascinating and um, adding very much to our understanding of Aotearoa. So 
good on you for getting into it no, so no. early. <laughs> We're finding it great. And to anyone who's listening out there, don't be afraid. Um, it is really worth it to to connect with Tongata Whenua and it's really worth it to find out about our history and to make connections. It makes a big difference to the mm. way you work and how you look at life. Indeed. Um, moving on, I've got a few questions for you, so let's just hit, hit it. Um, I've known you, I think, for about 11 years, and I know that you approach your work with passion. So I'm interested um, in what ignited that passion, and how do you hold on to that passion? Yeah, it's an it's a intriguing question, isn't it? Um, mm. You know, I, I was I was brought up um, in a in a Catholic household, and I was, I was one of those Catholic households, you know, that had a strong focus on social justice. I think that's, that's yeah. you know, I think that's probably where it started. So, you know, those questions of um, uh, equality and um, people being treated fairly and people being treated with respect and love, I think, were very much a part of how I was brought up. And um, so I think, you know, it's been, an, uh, it's felt a fairly natural thing to, you know, mm. to try and find, end up in roles where I could, um, you know, translate that into trying to um, help inform, you know, public policy or, or shape public policy and, and what, what the government does in terms of um, creating a, a, a society where people are treated with respect and, you know, and that we do pursue, you know, questions of, of natural justice and, and, yeah. and equality. So I think, you know, that, that's part of my, my passion. Um, and I think it's just going back to your point too. I remember I did political science as one of, one of the things I did at university. Mm. <laughs> um, and I was really struck. So this was back in the mid eighties. And so at that time, you know, there was so little done around the, the relationship between the crown and, you know, Maori as treaty partners that really, um, you know, troubled me, I suppose. Mm. And, and I was always intrigued that is a, you know, what does it mean to be, uh, a colonial country, you know, where you still have to wrestle with what's the right level of, uh, what's the right relationship between the Crown and Indigenous people and, and how do you support Indigenous people to be able to give, you know, expression to their, their who they are and, you know, and to create opportunities for them to, to you know, regulate and manage their own affairs. And so, I mean, that's, that's something which has been an abiding interest to me throughout my career as well too. And it's something that's still being worked on and still being oh. debated and still being dealt with. So yeah, and it will continue. I mean, I think that's mm. the other thing that I've you know that that's really struck me about the experience of working in this tree settlements area and you know and then in in the social services area where mm. I am now is is that it's an ongoing conversation. And it needs to be. You know, there's just as any partnership or any relationship. You know, it never it never ends as such. You know, you're always growing and then you're always maturing so you always have to keep talking and exploring you know what's the right type of the of form of the relationship you know what, what are the opportunities yeah. that get created so yeah yeah and you've worked uh, well that's that sort of segues nicely into my second point is that you've worked in several different government agencies and um, I am very interested in the treaty work that you've done all through. Um, what did you learn in that environment that still influences you? So I guess I'm asking you a question that's very similar to the previous one, is what's holding you there still in yeah. that environment? I, I, think, no, I think it is. It's, it's that idea that 
this is a, a relationship that always needs to work. You know, you always have to work on it and yeah. you always have to, to, to be reflecting on, you know, where you've come from and, and where the opportunity still lies. Mm. Um, I think, and part of that, you know, the, the, the thing about the tree settlement process too, you know, it, it's a negotiated space and, and you, and I remember uh, Michael Cullen, you know, he'd sort of talk about never say never, you know, <laughs> in the tree settlement space. You know, things that look look very challenging or you know not possible you know at one point in time you know given given change over time or given how people you know mature or get more confident with each other or build trust you know become possible in the future and um and I think that's the thing that all that that keeps me engaged and interested is is that you know the possibility of where the relationship can go yeah um you know I, I reflect back on when I first joined the um, public service and that was back in, uh, in 1990 and um oh in fact when i first joined to puni Kaukete, I that was uh, mm. which was in the mid 90s you know and, and the sort of arguments we were having then about you know e even things like is the treaty of waitangi you know a founding document of this country that we were debating that you know yes. and now and now you look at stuff yeah. that's on the government yeah. uh, various websites and resources yeah. and they say you know the treaty of waitangi is the founding document you know so right. it's it, it's, it has it's, been it's movement moved. hasn't it oh this no 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 it is and it's only when you sort of look over you know that that extended period of time do you yeah. really get that sense of just how much we've grown I think in terms of the the Crown Māori relationship you know but yeah. you know which isn't to say that we're we've we've finished no there's still lots it's still to a long do. way yeah. to go but yeah yeah but moving I think forward that's what it's all about yeah um do you ever think about following these passions of yours outside of government and outside of political requirements like would you ever cross over to the dark side and come to the sector <laughs> like things like that Oh no! Look, I I I, <laughs> I love what community organisations do, and you know, I I do try and find opportunities in my personal life to mm. participate as much as I can, and and my own community, you know, however that whatever that shape or form that takes. Mm. I I found though that the the things that really get me excited and interested that you know tend to be around public policy and they tend to be around <laughs> things like you know the, the crown mother relationship and there's not many places at the moment <laughs> that that give you the opportunity to really all you know, pursue all that you know other than in government and, in and government you circles. make a real difference in your role oh what you do makes a real difference so you're really Seems achieving nice. something and i think that's really important to have public servants who are in their roles like you are and that are able to say I did that and it made that difference you mm. you can do that and I think that's excellent Thanks, yeah. um no I mean it um focusing on more current events um you've been at OT during the lockdowns from the first one till now um OT by the way for anyone listening who doesn't know Ranga Tamariki and um I'm wondering how the pandemic's affected the work of the people who work at Oranga Tamariki. I mean, you've you've already been under a lot of stresses. You've had management change. You've always got little crises creeping in everywhere, um, uh, be they people's personal ones or, or governmental ones or whatever. So add the pandemic to that. How's your staff coping? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it does make our job 
very tricky and, and challenging, I think. And you know, and and thanks for acknowledging the the sort of the environment, the the, the difficulties and the challenges of the environment mm. we work in too. Um, you know, we we're very clear, I think, as as a ministry that you know, regardless of the pandemic, the the work that we do has to keep going. You know, um, but we just have to do that in a way that. Um, maintains to the best way we possibly can the safety and well-being of, of our staff, you know, wherever they are, but in particular our, our frontline staff and in particular mm. the ones who have to go out and work uh, in very trying circumstances with fa families, you know, to investigate um, any reports of concern of uh, abuse or neglect. So, um, we, we've continued through the lockdown to, you know, have to go out and make those calls. But, you know, I think not, not too dissimilar from many other people um, is that we've um, got, uh, had to do more work online, you know, and remotely, yeah, you know, yeah. try and use technology. I think, I mean, that's been the big, the big eye-opener as it has for every, you know, group of part of the community with the, the yeah sect society is that well sect has done a lot of work online as well you know a lot of us have had to work from home yeah yeah so we do get that but um but there um, is a strong focus on you know supporting staff and their well-being yeah you know, i think people like all the different um people in line management responsibilities you know are, are connecting regularly with their staff i think mm -hmm. there's you know the the, the the ministry itself has you know taken you know proactive steps to make sure that people are uh um aware of the support that's available and you know and mm -hmm. that people are able to sort of put their hand up and say yeah. that they need help so i think that's been really good well what we're going to do here is we're going to take a wee break for some music. And when we come back, I think we're just going to explore that a little bit more about um, the effects of the pandemic on children and things like that. Um, so let's just go take that break. When I see you smile, it feels like I'm falling. It's not for anybody else to the way your face could light the bitter dark of every street in every town I'll ever go. It's not for anybody else to know. For anybody else to know. When smile first thing in the morning it raises curtains on your lazy eyes could it be that you and i have the greatest love to ever be how could this have ever been before it's not for With Peter Galvin, 
Peter is General Manager of Oranga Tamariki, and we're talking about how the pandemic has affected not only um, everybody out here, but also the people working in really important government agencies like Oranga Tamariki, which looks after children in vulnerable circumstances. And um, I suppose I shouldn't be the one that actually explains uh, Oranga Tamariki's work. Perhaps, Peter, you could just give us a wee quick rundown about um, uh, what work is encompassed within uh, Oranga Tamariki. Okay, sure. I mean, I think this, the way I always describe it is, is there's three broad things that we do. Mm. We, um, we support organisations, community-based organisations to help keep kids safe and, you know, which means trying to keep them out away from the formal care and protection system. So avoid the need for there to be any consideration of um, having to remove them from their home. Um, we are, we are, we, you know, we have to think about the immediate um, concerns about a child's well-being. Then that's the second part kicks in, which is that we we're responsible for the, the the formal, you know, the statutory care and protection system. So that's where you have to make a call about having to remove a child and then find a care arrangement for that child. Um, that extends into also um, managing youth justice system. So, you know, we, we are the organisation that has to find uh, responses for um, young people who've offended mm. as well. And then the, the third part of what we do is we also now have a focus on supporting kids to transition back to independence. Um, so that was a, a really big change that was introduced with the legislation 2017, you know, which is this a thing called the transition service. So we yeah. have to, we now can support kids past the point where they, um, you know, hit the age of 18 and we can technically now support kids right through to when, who have been in the care of the state right through to now when they're 24 in one form or another. Right, right. Do you think, just going back to, you know, these children and the pandemic and things like that, do you think, what are the differences that you were seeing between um, the first pandemic and the second pandemic? Are you seeing differences for children? Yeah. For children, I think the, the, the main difference was that the, the children are a bit more prepared or families are a bit more mm. prepared. I don't, I think having having said that, I hasten to add though, that the other thing that we've seen this time around is um, a much higher uptake of uh, things like food packages and hygiene packages. So you get the sense that you know people were, were more used to working in a, in a lockdown environment, you know, that but, but equally that there are probably pressures in, on households that have um, grown since the first lockdown, uh, you know, and just talking to some of the, the community partners I work with, you know, they're, they're seeing a, a significant increase in the level of demand for food packages and things like that, uh, which is, you know, concerning. Um, there are, you know, there are also the attendant worries that we have. So it's, which is about, what happens to families who are already under pressure or stress, you know, and, and you put them into a lockdown situation and, you know, that, that becomes, can become a bit of more of a pressure cooker. So we're always anxious about making sure that uh, people know that there's still support available for them if they, mm. if they feel unsafe, be they a kid or be they an, an adult. Um, and um, the other thing that, 
the thing that happens in lockdowns for us as an organization is that um, we don't get the same um, ability to have uh, people in the community being able to interact with children as much, you know, particularly right. um, teachers or uh, medical people. And so what, what happens in lockdowns for us is that the rates of reports of concern actually falls because we don't see as many, you know, there's not as many eyes on, as they say. So, you know, Yet so, there might be more instances of, of problematic issues. Yeah, yeah. And so, in fact, mm. what, what happened last time was that as we came out of the lockdown, there was a, you know, there was a spike Big in jump. terms of mm. then, then, and then, the, and then progressively we it sort of evened off to the sort of the, 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 the not normal sounds, it's the wrong word, but, you know, the usual Even levels. Of usual levels, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, also I've noticed in the second pandemic that there's been um, a lot more anxiety. I think that's because of its delta, which is perhaps more threatening. Have you noticed anxiety being a, an issue? It's, it's starting to come out, yeah, and, and particularly, I think, for the workforce. I think yeah. that that's where it is, you know, and, and I know that there's been quite a bit of debate uh, now about vaccinations, you know, like, so yeah. we, we've had to wrestle with that alongside our, our partners um, in terms of, you know, what, what's the right way to approach um, encouraging the, the tamariki we're responsible for who are over 12, mm to be vaccinated, um, caregivers, you know, what's our expectations of caregivers? What can we say or do that might encourage greater rates of vaccination uptake by them? What's the situation for our staff who are visiting yeah. caregivers? You know, do they have to be vaccinated? What do we say to them? And, you know... It, it, do you have it, to supply PPE to staff who go out to homes? Oh, yeah, no, we definitely supply our yeah. own staff with PPE, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think just the other thing that's really struck me... Um, it's a couple of things. Is so one is just how disproportionately the this this lockdown in particular. I'm not I'm not so familiar with the first lockdown, yeah. but has affected um, Pacifica families. Yes, you know, and I think um, you know it's good to see that there's a lot more effort being put into making sure that those families are, are well supported, and that there's you know. A, more proactive attempts to to bring you know to to provide support to them and I and I you know like I have just the, the greatest respect for our Pacifica uh, yeah. partners you know particularly operating in Auckland in terms of um, just how busy they've been and and how much they've really tried to to reach out to those um, families who are under pressure and, you know and and you know I think to the the other thing I've I've which I get the chance to see is kind of how does the response work too? You know, the, it's curious about how this is a emergency management sort of process, you know, and it's like yeah. civil defense and the civil defense is, you know, it's traditionally been geared up around a, a natural event, you know, like a, a flood or an earthquake or a big fire. And yet, um, and so when that happens, you know, you can see the people who are affected and you can see the place that's been affected and yet, it's with a yeah. pandemic, yeah, it's, it's all visible. in households. It's all it's, yeah. it's all not so visible, you know. So it's really about how do you how do you get make the most of the civil defence response, which is very good at organising people into a place and organising supplies to a place. But then, how do you get that out to the people? Way you know, and I know yeah. Roz too that you know you did a lot of work in the first lockdown. Yeah, they, they haven't they haven't the, even pulled us in. Ah. Curious. So just as a comment. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, 
Uh, yes, I did do a lot of work in the first one uh, through NEMA. Yeah. But um, I, I was told that it has been different this time because a civil defence emergency has not been declared. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is yeah. interesting this time around. Yeah, it's yeah. slightly different. Um, and I'd just like to, Tataoko, the comments you made about the Pacifica families. Um, one of our board members, Andrew Bayer, is um, an Anglican priest who works in South Auckland at two different parishes. And when I last talked to him and said, how's it going and what's happening? He said, our Pacifica people are doing it as best as they can and they're being fantastic and we're yeah. dealing with it. And uh, he was really positive and proud of uh, the work that the Pacifica families, especially in South Auckland. So for all of those people out there who, who think that they're not doing the work, they are. They are no, doing absolutely, the work. absolutely. And a minister who's working in the churches in that area knows. He knows, and trust him implicitly, and just take heart. Those Pacifica families are doing the work they need to do. Um, moving along is um, just getting into a couple of specifics from the previous conversation, and that was: Are there special circumstances and rules about social workers entering people's homes to help kids? No, uh, we have guidance for our social workers about you know how to try and do that uh, as safely as possible. But uh, it's it's kind of this this it's mo mostly common sense things you know right. which is again as we talked about before, doing what you can remotely uh, if that's possible. Um, then uh, if you do need to you know go and visit homes, then you know trying to maintain all those things about um, the the distancing and the protection and things like that. I mean, it, it, it creates very, very challenging circumstances. You know, when you have to, I imagine yeah. when you have to front up to a house wearing, you know, wearing masks and, and maintaining distance, you know, because yeah. uh, I imagine for my social work colleagues, I'm not a social worker by any stretch of the imagination, but I imagine for my social worker colleagues, you know, that the, the inclination is always to, to be approachable and to, you know, to make connections with people, you know, in, in yeah. whatever way you can. So it's... Uh, I expect that's very particularly challenging. Yeah. Yeah. So in the time of a pandemic, um, you know, you're talking about how um, people contacting you about issues drops because, you know, and then you sort of hear, get a tail probably when the pandemic um, lightens a bit or when the, not the pandemic, but the actual lockdowns lighten up. But, how, what can you do if you find out children aren't getting food from food parcels, basic things like that? What, what can OT do about that sort of thing? Um, so there are, you know, there are channels that are in place to, to provide that right. support. And we've been really encouraged this time around to try and um, keep those channels um, focused around the, the, the key sort of dist food distribution hubs, you know, which, right. which is the responsibility for MSD. So, and the, the government right. made a whole lot of money of uh, new money available to support those, right. those channels. Right. I think the other thing I should emphasize though, too, is that, you know, our, and you'll, you'll know, Roz, um, yeah. we've got a lot of partner organizations who work very closely with families who are under stress. And so, yeah. I, you know, I, I work you rely with the, a lot the, on them. the bigger national providers, yeah. but they are making, you know, I know that they make regular proactive contact with families yeah. so that they are aware of, you know, What's issues happening. that are emerging in those families. Yeah. And they're, and they're very good at connecting people into to support networks as well. 
So that's uh, yeah, those okay. they they probably have a uh, the the much closer on the ground connect. So the wider network of people, families. Yeah, but for listeners out there, um, I what Peter I think is 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 really pointing out to us is that just because it's a pandemic, it doesn't mean that there aren't eyes on those kids checking that they're all right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, final question, I think, now is, um, do you think there'll be lasting effects on children as a result of hardship during the pandemic? Oh, um, oh. it's a big and question. And you've only yeah. got a minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, we'll, we'll find out. I mean, I think this is the, one of those things that it's, it's such an unknown ter- territory yeah. that the, 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 the best thing we can do is to just keep touch with it and and remember that what what it was like to be in this environment and then yeah. keep remembering that when we re- look back and we see about what's happening to our tamariki and rangatahi and uh you know as as time moves on um and i think there's going to be some i've already seen some you know some monitoring and some survey mechanisms that have been uh, put out there you know just to make sure that yeah. we're in touch with things sure to be a lot of research i think afterwards yeah 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 and hopefully if there's an afterwards <laughs> yeah well, what i hoping. mean by that is that we may have the pandemic with us for many years but it'll yeah, yeah. be in varying varying um levels of you know yeah, emergency yeah. with us yeah, I mean, I just, I mean, I, I've got kids, and I, I reflect on just how, how hard it's been on my kids, even you yeah. know, I went very privileged, you know, comfortable background, mm. and uh, I just know that, struggling. It's, yeah, yeah, God, yes, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, just be so hard, Peter. Thank you for the work that you do, and thank you for your heart. We really appreciate it, and thank you very much for your time talking to me today. My great pleasure, Rose. That program was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.